we will get started, and, and I think some of you know what, what I'm going to talk about uh, already, and that is uh, something that you may have noticed this morning. If you, How many of you were here in the first service? Okay, you may have noticed that uh, following the sacrament that uh, everything that was left was consumed. And uh, for me, this, is a, this has always been a major question, and I'm not here to open up any uh, controversy here amongst all of you. That certainly is not the point, and it is something I did talk about with Pastor Feeney previously, and he said that was fine. He understands my, the, the qualms of my conscience with what happens to the leftovers. And uh, so in, in talking also with Pastor Grady, I said, well, I would give a brief explanation of that and give you the opportunity to ask a few questions. Uh, and as I say, I'm not here to open up controversy or cause difficulty in the congregation, but uh, both of your pastors are aware of where I am with this, and I'm just hold on, continuing the practice that I've done for many years uh, at Emmanuel. And uh, it, it centers around the question of uh, what the sacrament is, and... Uh, the Lutheran confessions are very clear, and I think all of you know what the sacrament is. It is the true body and blood of Christ with the bread and wine uh, for the forgiveness of sins. We confess the real presence, and uh, there's no question about that. Uh, as Luther said, Christ's body wears the bread is another way of looking at it. But there, there then has come up a question and it's not new, actually. It came up in Luther's day. Uh, there were two pastors who were, shall we say, skating on very thin ice when it came to this whole question of the sacrament. And I'm, I'm going to try to summarize this quickly. Uh, I'm not sure that I can do it real quickly, but I'm going to give it a shot. Um, One of the things that we want to make clear is that uh, with the administration of the sacrament, the words of institution are spoken very clearly so that all may understand them. Now, we have some of, our, some of our men, my own pastor included, who perhaps goes a little too slowly. <laughs> they say, okay, we get it. You can just be distinct without being extremely slow. Uh, but the words are to be omitted under no circumstances. And um, we need to talk about this sacrament as uh, a whole. And um, this statement from the Confessions, from the formula, says, To maintain this true Christian doctrine concerning the Holy Supper and to obviate and eliminate many kinds of idolatrous misuse and perversion of this testimony... And that's looking mostly at the Roman church. The following useful rule and norm has been derived from the words of institution. Here they are. Nothing has the character of a sacrament apart from the use instituted by Christ or apart from the divinely instituted action. That is, if one does not observe Christ's institution as he ordained it, it is no sacrament. So, in other words, the Roman church takes the, if you've been in a Roman church, you'll notice that many of them have a tabernacle in which they have the consecrated uh, elements reserved in this tabernacle above the altar. 
And in Luther's day, there was the veneration of these. They were carried about in the Corpus Christi parade, which literally means body of Christ. And people were to worship them, but they did not receive them. So the Lutheran confessor said, no, this is a misuse of the sacrament. So then you have the, the without getting too deeply into the Roman doctrine of transubstantiation, that the bread and wine are changed into the body and blood of Christ forevermore. That too is rejected by the Lutheran confessions. But the question comes then, well, when we have the sacrament and we finish and there are the leftovers, what is the status of the leftovers or the nice Latin term reliquiae, if you like that? But it really means the leftovers. What do we do with them and what is their status? And that's a question that goes back to Luther's day. And... Um, Boy, I'm going to have to get into more than I wanted to do. Uh, and in a half an hour, and I said I was going to do this simply. Uh, there were those, I need to talk about a definition of uh, receptionism. That, that belief... I want to find it better than I could say it. Well, maybe I can't find it quickly. That belief says that it becomes the body and blood of Christ only as you receive it in your mouth. That is a doctrine that is rejected by the Lutheran confessions. <laughs> because then that, depends, that makes it dependent upon you at the moment of that. And there are all, uh, all of these questions about, well, what happens... Well, like in Luther's day, what if you dropped a host on the floor and a mouse came along and grabbed it and ran off with it? I mean, you know, you can come up with all sorts of crazy questions that will torment your conscience. And that, that is not what the confessors were saying. Uh, receptionism... And I thought I had it marked here. Uh, I don't. I can't find it. I had the page and everything. Well, I have another. And this is um, one that has been written by one of our pastors. Receptionism, the teaching that only those elements which are actually received by the communicants are in fact the true body and blood of Christ. If a host is dropped, it is not the body of Christ that has fallen to the ground, but only bread. This is so because part of the sacrament is consumption. No consumption, no sacrament, no sacrament, no real presence. Get the argument? Uh, this is the historic teaching of uh, yeah, some Lutherans. Uh, but that is not what the confessions say, and it's not what Luther uh, said uh, I'm going to mention this guy's name, uh, Pastor Wolferinus. <laughs> you like that name, Wolf, Wolferinus? Anyway, he was denying that these things remain the body and blood of Christ. Here's the critical question. When does it start? When does it end? Okay. So we come back to that rule that I read before, that nothing has the character of a sacrament 
apart from the instituted use. So this is then where we get stuck. And uh, Wolf Arenas was, uh, like I said, skating on very thin ice. And uh, uh, let's see, I didn't highlight this in this copy. I don't want to read the whole thing. Maybe I should just, I should read it. Because it's Luther, and who's gonna, who's, who of us is going to argue with him, right? Uh, he says, grace and peace on the Lord. This is his first letter. He had two letters. The second one is shorter. Um, Among all the miseries of my old age, now this is added, Simon, that you and Dr. Frederick Rauber, pastor of St. Peter's in my native city, have caused me grief. And it is not as if you could allege that it is only a rumor while you are not there. I have seen your disputations and letter in which you justify yourself so harshly with very great scandal as if this man were the most corrupt of the papists, even though you are both pastors in the same city and of the same people. In other words, these two pastors are going at it, hammer and tong, and slandering each other. Uh, Even if it is granted that he offended you in a public sermon, which he denies, and I am not going to judge, why did you not deal with him either by law or by charity? And so, in other words, he's getting into this thing that they've got. But to the point. There is no doubt that it is not we who got it from you, but you who got it from us, that sacraments are actions and not persisting manufacturers. But, this, uh, but what is this particular rashness of yours that you would rather not abstain from this evil appearance, which you know is a scandal, namely that you mix the remains of consecrated wine and bread with unconsecrated wine and bread? By which example do you do that? In other words, he's saying this has not been the practice of the church to do this, to mix it. So in other words, I know that this happens because it happened when I first came to Emmanuel that uh, they were mixing the consecrated leftovers with the newly consecrated things. And um, I said, well, that's not our practice. Uh, Anyway, let me continue on. Uh, All right, this is where he kind of insults this guy. Perhaps you wanted to be considered a Zwinglian. Oh, that's pretty pretty serious. And I am to believe that you are afflicted with the insanity of Zwingli when you are so proudly and contemptuously irritating with this particular and magnificent wisdom of yours. There's some deep sarcasm there. Was there no other way for you to avoid giving the suspicion to the weak and to the enemy that you were a despiser of the sacrament than to cause offense with this evil appearance of what is left of the sacrament is to be mixed, poured in with unconsecrated wine? Why do you not imitate the other churches? In other words, all the rest of the Lutherans. All right, this with such sorrow so that you may know that you have offended me and made my spirit very sad. You yourself say that it is nonsense and you are aggravated about nonsense. Uh, let's see, uh, let's skip over some of that. Um, uh, this guy was saying basically that uh, in the action of the sacrament there is more cessation than action. Uh, and then this leaves consciences in doubt about, well, what did I really receive? Did I get the body and blood of Christ or did it cease before it got to me? And how do I know? And so we come back to the confessions saying that it it encompasses the whole 
action. And um, the second letter is, is much better. Um, Indeed, Dr. Philip, that's Melanchthon, wrote rightly that there is no sacrament outside of the sacramental action, but you are defining the sacramental action much too hastily and abruptly. If you do it in this way, you will appear to have absolutely no sacrament. If such a quick breaking off the action really exists, it will follow that after the speaking of the words of institution, which is the most powerful and principal action in the sacrament, no one would receive the body and blood of Christ because the action would have ceased. In other words, he was defining it that narrowly, so by the time he finished, you didn't know it. when you got the host, the wine, whether you were getting the body and blood of Christ or not, whether, well, it might be over for all we know. I mean, it was splitting these hairs with this. Uh, certainly, Dr. Philip does not want that, and such a definition of the action would bring about infinite scruples of conscience and endless questions such as are disputed among the papists, as, for example, whether the body and blood of Christ are present at the first, middle, or last syllables. You see how, how utterly ridiculous this gets? Therefore, one must, not, one must look not only upon this involvement of instant or present action, but also on the time, not in terms of mathematical, but of physical breadth, that is, one must give this action a certain period of time and a period of appropriate breadth of time. Therefore, we shall define the time or the sacramental action in this way, that it starts with the beginning of the... And this, we, we seem to have come up with a, a mistranslation of uh, this. And this translation I'm reading was done by... Uh, uh, one of our pastors many years ago, well, many years ago, 1968. <laughs> that was many years ago. I was actually uh, at the seminary then by a, a Pastor Peters who was writing about this, and he mistranslated this. The words in Latin are oratio domici, literally the words of the Lord, the word of the Lord. And it was mistranslated in the German as the Pater Noster or the Our Father. So really it should read the word of the Lord when the word of the Lord is applied. And alas, until all have communicated, have emptied the chalice, have consumed the hosts until, other, until the people have been dismissed and the priest has left the altar. In this way we shall be safe and free from the scruples and scandals of such endless questions. Uh, so... Dr. Philip defines the sacramental action in relation to what is outside it, that is, against the reservation of and processions with the sacrament, as the papists did. He does not split it up within the action itself, nor does he define it in a way that contradicts itself. Therefore, see to it that if anything is left over of the sacrament, either some communicants or the priest himself and his assistant receive it, so that it is not only a curate or someone else who drinks what is left over in the chalice, but that he gives it to the others who were also participants in the body of Christ, so that you do not appear to divide the sacrament by a bad example or to treat the sacramental action irreverently. This is my opinion, and I know that it is also Philip's opinion. So basically what Luther is saying, in order to 
stay away from all such questions, just consume it at the end, and then you don't have to answer any of the questions, which seems like this is brilliant. This is such a simple solution to a problem that has afflicted some congregations, and I'm not saying that it has afflicted you. As I said, I'm not here to stir up controversy. But the whole matter that uh, it has been my practice to uh, consume that with, let's say, our vicar or and one of the deacons that assists, that it is consumed at the altar so nobody has any questions about, well, you know, they went back into the sacristy later and they had a drinking party back there. And uh, Pastor Allman, you know how such rumors get started in congregations, and they, they uh, not true, but, you know, people judge by what they see. So therefore, you judge by what you see. The sacrament has been consumed. It is over. And now you don't need to worry about, well, what do we do with the leftovers? Do we put them in a separate jar that says consecrated hosts? Then the question is, well, are they still consecrated? And that's a question nobody can answer. That's simply unanswerable. To say, well, is the sacramental action over? Yes. Well, then, then one would doubt if you received one of these the next week, you would doubt whether or not it had been consecrated, whether it was still the body of Christ. So it opens up too many ridiculous issues and I'm not saying that you have any of these I'm just saying this is uh, I told Pastor Feeney that this is what I would do as I had done one other time when I was here I consumed them and I don't know if anybody even noticed it but uh, I noticed that uh, you tend to have a lot of leftovers uh, <laughs> you know because say well we don't, we don't know and uh, admittedly this morning in the first service the logistics were not a one that was my fault, nobody else's fault. That was my fault because I'm trying, to, and I forgot all about the sections on the side. <laughs> so all of a sudden, where are these people coming from? Haven't they all been up here? No, you're going around the back. And I did not notice that. So next time, I should be better, and I'll, I'll, maybe I'll just blame Pastor Grady. You know, you give me the, tell me how many. <laughs> and I did ask him, I said, what do you think? And <laughs> it was just, at Back at Emmanuel, I could always, I could be within 10. Any, any Sunday, I could just look out there, and I knew what, I knew what, I look at it, and I knew what was left and what we were doing, but boy, you got me today with that one. I kept looking. <laughs> Where are they coming from? They're looping around the back. So, as I say, that was my fault this morning. So, uh, so I think we had, what, two additional consecrations, and we had very little left over. So, at least... There were no reliquii that you would have to worry about what did we do with them and what's going to happen to them. So uh, maybe that's enough, and I'll open it up for questions. You've got about 10 minutes, I guess. I'm sure you probably there are going to be some questions somebody wants to ask or comment. I'm, I'm going to have to come closer because I need to get a hearing aid check, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> you already got it. I think it's great that you do that because it just doesn't give the devil an opening either. Yeah, I think that's, that's a good way of looking at it. Say, you don't give the devil an opening. 
to sow dissension and where somebody's conscience is offended, and you certainly don't want to offend someone's conscience about, about what's happening and saying, are these, you know, like the Roman church, do you uh, carry them around in a procession and venerate them? Um, now, I know there are some congregations will take those, the consecrated elements, out to shut-ins. Uh, I got a little problem with that. Because, all right, they're saying the congregational action isn't over because we're going to take it out. But you have done the liturgy in which you've said it's over. And the other thing, the other important thing, if you are taking these out to, let's say, a shut-in or a person at the hospital, the important thing is the words of the Lord. You must hear the words given and shed for the given and shed for you, this is the true body, this is the true blood, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. If I'm sitting in the hospital bed, I, I need to hear the words. I need to hear the words of the Lord, for that's authentic. To say, well, we said those words back in the service uh, about three hours ago. <laughs> uh, you've deprived the person of hearing the word of the Lord, because you say, well, we did this already, so it's, it's good, it's good, trust me. So that... Again, I think that comes back, you know, giving the devil an opening and causing somebody to doubt whether it really is. And I, I'm not, I, I know that doesn't happen here. I know you don't do that. You don't take them out to shut-ins or the sick without having the service out of the, out of the pastor's little companion for the, for the sick. Uh, I know that all, you go through all of that so the words are said again. So then you're still stuck with what do you do with those things? I, uh, Pastor Grady, why don't you answer that when she, you heard her question. The general practice has been at the altar that when we consider everything at the altar from the previous table, it's consequences. So anything that is cut with in the the practice of the church has always been to pour it to the ground. And some churches, you might recall the name of this drain, but it's called a drain. It's called a Pashina. And it actually goes out of the building into the ground. There's even a rumor for how that fit. We don't have it. It goes out the side door, goes on the ground. Or we've had some of the office bills that would consume that. Um, hosts are typically put in a separate bag. But then the following Sunday, they would go in and support them with other uh, the, yeah, yeah. In to follow up on this question, the Pashina in back at Emmanuel, we didn't have a drain either, and the altar guild would take it out, and they I, I watched them. They take it. And they, this is not reverent disposal of the blood of Christ. Uh, or then what you should do with the hosts if you were going to, and, and I'm not saying that the drain is is a. A wrong thing. No, that is a reverent way to do it if you have a, a dedicated drain for that, but not down the sink that goes into the sewage. The host then should be burned. So you say, well, that's an awful lot of work, isn't it? To make sure that you dispose of the body and blood of Christ in a reverent way. What would be more reverent than to eat and drink it, as our Lord says? So 
that's in answer to your question as to what you do here. So. And to the question of whose conscience is maybe troubled most by a practice or not, it's probably the conscience of the ladies on the altar. What am I doing with this? Have this? And now they, it's not there, they want to work. So, and, and some people will nitpick that down to, well, there's a little drop of wine left in this cup, and what do I do now to wipe out the paper towel? I might add, there is a, there's a very simple solution to that, which we do, and you, uh, we have a small uh, cruet of water, and it is abluted which is a word for washing. And that water is poured in there and swirled around and also the, the patent is the water is poured over that into the chalice and then the water is drunk also at the altar. So then when the altar guild at Emmanuel gets all the vessels, they're basically clean by the time they come back. So it's, it's you know, you've, you've cut off any discussion about these little these little things that somebody might say, well, but, but what about that? Yeah, and that would be something we, you know, look at here. So, yeah, so it's basically all who has to deal with it. Okay, anybody else want to weigh in on this? Well, in that terms of taking what was left over and taking it to the hospital or to the shut-in, I know of a congregation that not only does that, but they send the vicar the unordained vicar. Yeah. Yeah, there's another, there's another problem. We won't get into that yeah. problem. <laughs> She's saying, talking about the unordained vicar taking these things out to the shut-ins yeah. and communing them, yeah. which is, that's a whole other problem. But you get two problems now together. So, yeah, yeah. Pastor Allman. Actually, this, this thesis by, by Peters in 1968, I think he did some of that in there, but I have not read the thesis. But it's probably what happened in most of our congregations, I, I'm guessing. Yeah. We, we, uh, we've, I'm no expert on it, but I've heard that there was kind of a shift when things went from German to English, that there was a shift in well, some of us used to say, you know, the Missouri Synod started going to hell in a handbasket when we got away from the German. <laughs> well, the German language is much more precise than English. And sometimes, truly, it was one of these things, there were things that got lost in translation. Uh, we've got some hymns that actually we have one hymn that totally gets away from the real presence and what happens in the sacrament, that the sacrament is something that uh, connects us with heaven. Uh, the translator, Catherine Winkworth, and it's the great, the great chorale, and it's been corrected in the new hymnal where they realize this, this translation was actually heretical. And we had a lot of that and didn't realize it because we, when we stopped the German... All of those Orthodox German hymns were subjected to certain translators who weren't Lutherans. And Catherine Winkworth was a great poet, but she was no Lutheran. 
and uh, it shows up where there's a denial of, of the real presence in the sacrament. So uh, that, that's a good question. Uh, follow? I don't know. I, I refer to Okay. Anybody else want to weigh in or ask? Like I said, it, it certainly is not my purpose to stir up any controversy among you, but I uh, thought I should explain my practice so that uh, you understand what's, what I'm doing. And uh, I'm not going to put that burden on Pastor Feeney. That's his decision. Uh, but... Uh, like I said, I would just continue my practice that I've done for many years at Emmanuel, and which, with which I'm comfortable because my conscience is a little bothered by wondering what's happened to the, the leftovers. You know, I don't know what your practice was, so I don't know if it was reverent or not. So it was one of those things. So that's what I'm doing. So if you'll have to bear with me during these weeks that I'm here, and then... Uh, you know, then I can leave with a good conscience, and then your conscience will be clean that you didn't uh, trample all over mine. <laughs> any, any other questions or whatever with this? Okay, then we'll close. Let's, oh, one more. Going to the second letter that you read, I take it that the sacrament ends when you give us the peace. Would be when, when the sacramental action is over. That's, you're, you're very perceptive, Yes. When the peace is given, the congregation then is basically dismissed. We have the, the Lord be with you and the blessing, and it's done. Actually, if we use the term mass, which comes from the Latin missa, uh, literally means go, the mass is ended. So we, we don't quite have that. We, we have gotten kind of off track with that. We say... The going away hymn, the hymn to depart, uh, whatever. Uh, you know, we, we don't always have a good way of ending things sometimes. And I'm not saying we shouldn't have a hymn to depart. There should be probably something like that. But uh, basically, when the amen is said at the end of the blessing, you can be sure it's over. And if you look how the, the hymnal has, you have the service of the word, the service of the sacrament, there is no there is no ending of that service of the sacrament. There isn't a point there where it says, okay, this part's ended now, and this is just hanging stuff on. Uh, it basically goes to the blessing, in this case, the ironic blessing. And so I, I will say this. I don't know if any of you noticed that when I, when I officiate at the altar, uh, I, I will always make this turn, and I'll come back. I don't ever make this turn until the blessing is said. And I touch the altar because the blessing comes from the altar. It is the word of the Lord. And give you peace. Now, that, as I was taught many years ago in liturgics, is it's completed now. You've completed the circle. It's over. So it fits in very well with this to say now, when you see Pastor Grady, you remember that? I, I've had a terrible time teaching vicars. They want to turn the wrong way all the time. We do the, the acolytes too. They turn in the, against each other and bang into each other with, you know, they're holding the offering plates or whatever. 
uh, there, there, are certain, there should be a certain precision to that so that you know, when I turn after the blessing, I'm going to turn all the way. Now you know, visually, it's over. You're done. So, perceptive question, though. Uh, but I would say, let's, let's take it to the end of the, the words of the Lord, which include the blessing. Because the blessing is still the word of the Lord. And it's as important as any other word that is the word of the Lord that's spoken in the service. Uh, whether it be the Holy Gospel or uh, any of the other ones, and uh, I know that we have some pastors who, when they get to the blessing, the Lord bless you, keep you blessed, Lord hurry up and get it over with. And that's irreverent as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> All right, we should stop. So let's, uh, we'll close with the blessing. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. All right, some of you I will see in the second service. <laughs>